Hey everyone, this is Lash Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have the Indiana Pacers team preview up next in our series. I have a great conversation with Tony East and Adam Friedman of Locked On Pacers about Miles Turner taking a leap, LeBron's uncalled goaltend in Game 7 of last year's playoffs, and TJ Leaf. Way more TJ Leaf talk than I expected going in. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by the Locked On Pacers duo of Tony East and Adam Friedman. Uh, guys, what's going on? Uh, you know, going to talk try, first. Yes, oh, trying ooh. to figure out who's going to talk first is apparently what's going on. I knew I was going to talk right when you talked, Adam. All right, Tony, you go first. <laughs> Every time? I don't like that. Uh, not much. Uh, in the dog days of summer, watching Hoops Hype's uh, awesome video on players who turned 30 this year. Who turned 30 this year? <laughs> uh, apparently, Jeff Teague is the first guy on the slideshow. Super overpaid Jeff Teague. Nice. Not bad. <laughs> hey, former Pacer Jeff Teague. Indianapolis Ooh, native Jeff Teague. Yes. Uh, uh, talk to Chris Herring about how hard coming back to Indianapolis was for him, Jeff Teague. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember that article. That article was just... That was great on the the Jeff Teague and how he's just overwhelmed by being the star and all that stuff. And Indiana's got too much family, whatever, all that crap. It's like, you know what? Um, is, I don't know like where you could go to get less pressure than Indiana, <laughs> but hey, like, do you know what you want I about guess. Jeff Teague? But he led the 2016-17 Pacers in win shares over Paul George. That's more of an indictment on win shares than Paul George, but still. Oh, and it's Paul George and no, try for no, no, he did forty not. games. <laughs> no, Give he didn't. <laughs> but that's beside the point. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm super glad you guys are are on and willing to do this. This is going to be fun. So, uh, I guess I have to start my questions with a name, so I know who is going to answer the question. So, Adam. Yes. Adam. Yeah. Give me a, give me one word that sums up Pacers fans' uh, feelings after the off season optimistic oh, that was my word yeah. <laughs> do you want me to explain i guess um i, w- I would like that yes. <laughs> um, i wanted to know if tom's name is word first too that's what i wasn't sure optimistic <laughs> because uh the team won 48 games last year which was way above expectations and then they basically added two rotation players plus kyle quinn who's a much better version of a third center than Nal jefferson so essentially they basically shored up every kind of weak spot in the team in terms of the back end while still keeping their basically core intact. So theoretically, if things go through the last season, plus the added bench depth, they should be able to win 50 plus games. Okay. Tony, what's, what's your word now that you've had like 30 seconds to come up with a different word? My word was going to be optimistic too. Um, I want, I can't think of a one word synonym for like overly optimistic, if that's possible. Like, we're at the point where people are retweeting Miles Turner videos of him pulling up off the dribble threes and being like, oh, here he comes, you know, like. No, wait, I saw that Ball is Life video. He was killing it. He was. He didn't miss in the video. Uh, There were a lot of cuts, but still. Uh, Yeah, we're at that point where it's like, I think right after, I think Adam is right, Optimistic was perfect because right after all the signings in the draft, like, people loved Holiday, people loved all the signings. Uh, And then Alizé Johnson, of course, had a great summer league, so everybody was like, yes, like, this team is going to be awesome. Um, and now it's gotten a little almost out of hand, um, but that's how August goes. So I think I think his word optimistic is, is perfect. All right. So the story out of Indianapolis last season, in my mind, at least, and we've talked a little bit about this, Tony, is that they played like slightly over their head, but not like so far over their head that it seemed like unfeasible that they would do this again. Um, and so you imagine that they regress from 48 wins, but then like Adam said, they shored up a lot of the pieces on the margins with uh, Tyreek 
especially with Tyreek Evans and Doug McDermott and uh, Kyle Quinn. And so they should like start or should end up, I guess, where they started right about 48 wins. So, uh, Tony, where do you come down on the over under, which right now is 47 and a half? Yeah, me and Adam just did a show about this, actually. And our, our rationale for landing where we did and ironically and for the first time ever, actually, I feel like with me and Adam uh, landed on the same number um, was that, you know, Say they 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 were a forty five win team by by point differential last year. They won forty eight, so they were just pretty good in the clutch. Is what that comes down to. Say that goes down a little bit, and they actually had won forty five last year. But then they replaced Lance with Tyreek, replaced Al Jefferson with O'Quinn, replaced nobody with Doug McDermott. You know that's probably three wins at least. Um, maybe they have a little worse injury luck, but I mean that is what it is. They have a really good training staff. Their, their training staff was the All Star team's training staff last year, so. Uh, I think, yeah, 48 again would be, I would consider that a success personally, just given all the factors at hand and maybe even a little higher, like Adam just said, the 50s doesn't seem out of the question. Um, so I think the over is, is the bet that I would go with. So did you guys, Adam, did you guys agree on this podcast? And so I don't have to ask you about the over under or. Well, so I go back and forth based on the day almost on whether they win more than 50 games or not. It's kind of, the over under obviously said 47 and a half, but the whole thing basically hinges on Miles Turner is my whole thought. Like if Turner makes some kind of leap that, you know, that Pacer fans have been expecting since probably his first season and she really hasn't made that 20 point a game leap. If he does that, this team could win 55 games, I think almost. I mean, that's maybe a little too high, but that's about the high they could reach if Turner really becomes kind of like the number two star next to Depot and is like an all-star level. But, right. you know, I don't think their floor is as low. You know, I think the floor is maybe 45 wins. Obviously, this is barring, you know, if Old Depot tears the ACL, this team is not going to do that right. well. But in terms of injury luck, you look at it, Turner missed 17 games. I think Sabonis missed eight. Uh, Darren Collison missed 11. So it's not like they had, like, like everybody perfectly healthy. They just had a couple of core players, like Thad and Bojan played, I think, basically every game, I think, except for one, because they all set the last game. And then Vic missed seven games. So, I mean, they were lucky with kind of some core pieces, but some also not. So I don't. I don't know how it could get worse except for somebody having a season ending injury, which I don't like to count that in to like factor it into my win loss total. Like happened to any team that's sort of like random. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that front. Adam, we are on the Detroit bad boys podcast. We did not even mention Glenn Robinson's injury. Yeah, but that was like a fluke injury, right? I mean, well, the way he like, like, how do you predict that? Well, and, and he was going to be a part of the rotation coming into the season, right? Oh, people were talking about him starting like at the year started. So I, yeah, I think I was on that bandwagon. Him over I think he on. should start in Detroit, personally. I also do. It makes too much sense with the rest of the starting lineup. Or the projected starting lineup. But I want to circle back a little bit to Miles Turner. So what does a leap from Miles Turner look like to you guys? I think it's... I, I want to say like 18 points is sort of the threshold, but I really think it's more of can he, can he kind of look like confident when he has the ball. So I think part of the issue with him last year was he mm-hmm. almost looked scared at times to get the ball late in games. I know it happened in the playoffs a couple of times where, you know, off those Vic double teams, he would get the ball and he wouldn't be quick enough with the decision-making and he would get kind of the ball swat out of his hand or take a bad shot. Um, you know, there was one game against Boston where he got the ball like in the post and made a quick, decisive move, I think on Marcus Morris, and just drained a bucket over him to win the game or seal the game basically. And if – you could see more of that. I think that's where it matter. I don't know if he needs to like, you know, I don't want to put some barrier of like 18 points, whatever, because you just don't know about the shots it's going to get because old Depot could end up taking 20 shots a game or whatever, because he's kind of that efficient of a player. But if Turner can be just like a go-to guy in the end of games where you're confident that you put the ball in his hands and he's not going to make mistakes, that would alleviate some pressure from old Depot and really sort of elevate his game. Yeah. I was just going to say it's, it's all about touches. People say this all the time. Uh, in the games where he shot 12 or more times last year, that happened 21 times. He averaged 19 a game, shot over 50% from the field and 47% from three. Like confidence is a big thing for him, like Adam said. And if he gets those touches and feels like he's involved, he always has more confidence and his shot just looks better. Um, but at the, on the flip side, you know, like people, my friend Ben Jones told me this and I agree. Like sometimes normal motions for other NBA players take him like three or four motions and it, it just looks awkward. And I feel like that kind of makes people trepid to give him the ball. So there, there's, you know, there's two sides to it. He has to earn it, but at the same time, they, they need to make a point to get him the ball when they can. So at what, at what point does it become like detrimental to try and get him reps in the clutch versus like taking the ball, you're taking the ball out of Oladipa's hands to do that? Like what, what does that trade-off like look like to you, Adam? So it sort of depends what lineup they have at the end of games as well, because 
they explain a double team at the end of games now, it seems like. But they're, like that was a, a formula that the Cavs kind of showed is how you beat the Pacers, mm-hmm. really, is you just force the ball out of Vic's hand because they don't have anybody at number two. Now, if Evans is playing end of games and steps up and kind of is that number two, then you could see Turner kind of not getting the ball. But if they decide to go with their traditional stars at the end of games, or maybe Court Joseph in kind of like they did last year, you could see almost having to rely on Turner to score. It wouldn't be forcing him in the end of games, but it'd be like they need him to step up because he's kind of the one player on the court because he's so tall and because he's sort of kind of a unicorn, he can exploit almost any matchup. I mean, he can, I think, you know, a guy on a Drummond might beat him, is going to beat him down the post. But most guys, like especially with, with Boston this year, where they put Marcus Morris on a smaller big guy, he can exploit by backing him down or they put too clunky of a guy on him. He can trust him out on the floor. So I don't, I don't know where, it, if it's going to be forcing him to take shots, it just, it might just happen like just naturally because of the way Old Depot is going to get double teamed. And I think there's a point too where like his non-clutch play will dictate how he's handled in the clutch. Like if he if he shows improvement with this three-point shot like this video we saw, even if it's not off the dribble, which let's hope he doesn't take a lot of those, um, then, you know, now he can space the floor in the clutch just by standing behind the three-point line. And that alone changes what they can do to Vic, what, what shots he'll get. You know, that kind of stuff could dictate his touches too. So it, there's a lot for it, I think. Um, but I don't. I don't know. Vic was just so good in the clutch last year. But a lot of what made him good is that they ran the pick and pop with Turner. Like it was just another option anyway. So I think they're going to just keep beating that play to death until people can stop it. Yeah, Vic was like the most. I mean, probably, I don't know what the stats are exactly, but just from the eye test of watching him, he was one of the most clutch players I've yeah. really ever seen in a Pacer uniform. To be honest, like I don't. I remember Paul George being that clutch. Um, I think last year, I don't know what the stats say. I, I looked it up at one point, but I'm kind of forgetting it now. But I, Odipo was it's just super, was super good in the last two minutes of games. I mean, he could pretty much, you got him that isolation play, he could pretty much score whenever he wanted to. And, you know, I think we saw in the playoffs, he basically, he that game five, he made that layup, or at least got goaltended by LeBron. And that's kind of, he did that, and he, that, he beat guys, obviously. Way to, way to sneak that in there. I like that. Well, if you think about it, like, he, he isolated on LeBron and said, the best way to beat LeBron, who... I mean, I know he doesn't have like the defensive player of the year award, but LeBron's a good defender when he wants to be and mm-hmm. decided I'm going to beat him to the rim. And he did. He beat him to the rim and he hit the ball in the glass and LeBron goaltended it. Like that's pretty gutsy. And it kind of shows how confident Old Depot and how good he was in kind of that situation end of games. And like, I mean, there's a game against Denver where he was just got switched on to Kenneth Freed every single time and just destroyed him. I mean, and he dragged the team back to a win. So, Caitlin Cooper, who shout out to Caitlin, I will have you on the podcast someday, Caitlin. <laughs> You're not going to keep ducking me. She had some really interesting thoughts about uh, playing Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis together in a piece earlier this offseason. So, Tony, do you think in the long term for the Pacers, it's better to play Miles and Sabonis together or to kind of stagger them? You know, uh, I don't, I don't know. You probably, I know you saw it. Uh, they were actually okay playing last year when Lance wasn't with them on the court. Um, you know, we, me and Adam talked about that pretty recently on our show too. So there is hope, but at the same time, it's been a pretty small amount of minutes to know. Um, and I think a lot of people keep saying like one of them needs to be able to stretch the floor on offense, but like they can both kind of already do it. And they both are good enough role men that, you know, they can space the floor vertically too. So offensively, I don't think there's ever really going to be an issue. Like, I mean, it's just going to be kind of awkward having two big guys, but it'll always work. Um, it's almost like Sarich and Embiid, like one of Sarich can shoot and Embiid is, can do everything. Uh, and none of them are Embiid good on offense, but like the fit is similar, but defensively is where the problem is, is like neither of them can defend outside 15 feet at all. And as soon as that happens, I think they're going to have no problem being successful because then one of them can defend the perimeter. Um, but right now that's, that's where the biggest problem is. They can't keep both of them out there. If the other team has either a quick or a good shooting four on the court. So what what kind of style they you guys don't switch everything you guys drop yep. so when you so when you're uh like what's Sabonis' problem off is it like off ball is it that like he can't cover guys and pick and roll like what kind of pattern recognition too like and you can see that he was one of the most foul prone players in the league uh, of everybody with his minutes or more in the league last year only Julius Randall had more fouls per minute um, and it, that's just being young which is like you know you haven't caught the pattern recognition of how cuts work and screen and rolls and stuff to be in the right position so all he can do is foul you know and I, that's part of it um but at the same time it's also like he's kind of ground bound so you know he's just a little late to those he's gonna be late to those rotations anyway it's just can he be in a better position to make it less infrequent or less frequent yeah he's, he's just not as quick he's just not quick enough the guard stretch forward especially and you you play them both together you have to you want to keep Turner under the rim because he's such a good rim protector so 
the only way that works on deep in the defensive end is if Sabonis can basically guard stretch fours because that's what I mean. If you're a team looking at Sabonis and Turner, you're just going to go small basically and think that you can kind of push him around because they they also both aren't like overpowering like these massively awesome rebounding bigs. So you don't worry about that on the offensive end if you can shorten the glass that much by them, and your your best chance is just to stretch them out. And so if Sabonis could somehow become a better defender in space, or I mean, I guess Turner just worked for him too, but I would think Sabonis is kind of one that has to make the adjustment. Then they could work together on defensive end because you could kind of be okay with Sabonis guarding stretch fours or being switched on to the occasional like small forward or a uh, shooting guard. But that's the biggest issue is that it just, it's like, it's just not enough. Like they get basically beat off the dribble way too much. Yeah. So my, my thought is that if you're playing, if you're splitting them up, I think they're better together just first off but i think if you're splitting them up and playing sabonis at five you're ending up with a lineup with like something like mcdermott at the four and sabonis at the five and like i'd like that lineup is like really going to get killed you didn't defensively. Need to, but you also just admitted your feelings on tj leaf playing the four so i appreciate that <laughs> that's so, so <laughs> nobody cared about tj leaf i i don't think they brought in doug mcdermott mcdermott at like 7.2 mil or whatever to play the four uh like and behind TJ Leaf, like I don't think that happened. So, but here's the uh, thing: um, I feel like Sabonis actually fits better with the starters, and if Turner can develop his offensive game like he's been working on, he might actually fit better with the bench unit. Like that's what's kind of weird about this whole thing is that you could stagger it so that I mean, you probably can't start Sabonis, and you could, but like Sabonis plays really well with Oladipo in the sense that like offensively they're in sync all the time the pick and roll Sponis has got a great ability to kind of pass the ball out of the top of the key when he gets the ball because double team where if Turner could carry an offensive load where you get him those extra shots he would actually fit with kind of the bench guys because then you could you could probably afford to maybe play you know at the four just because you have such a good defender and Turner out there protecting the rim and you can you know what I mean you can afford that kind of thing but it's just that's a dilemma because like you want Turner to be your starter because he's your kind of future but you have the balance of like, is Sabonis actually made better than him? Yeah. Well, I mean, and like long-term, right? Like Thaddeus Young is not no. the long-term answer at power forward. <laughs> and so you have to figure out if these guys can play together because like if if you need to know, like is this something we can build on or is this something that we need to I, resolve? I, you keep overlooking the obvious thing here. Kevin Pritchard wants to stretch forward. TJ Leaf can shoot. It's right there, Laz. The answer is right there. <laughs> All right, Tony, you have 30 seconds. Sell me on TJ Leaf. Because all all I know about TJ Leaf is that Lonzo Ball made him an NBA draft pick. I will say this, uh, since (laughs) shout-out to Aaron Holiday time. uh, Aaron Holiday's career high defensive box plus minus at UCLA was 1.9. TJ Leaf's defensive box plus minus at UCLA was 3. So Aaron Holiday's not going to be a good defender. Anyway... So so no, I have I have a Google Doc that with all the questions that I want to ask you guys, and the literal thing I have typed out is so comma a uh, comma Tony dot dot dot. Why do you hate Aaron Holiday? I don't hate Aaron Holiday. Yes, he I does. Just, people are too. Uh, I do hate Aaron Holiday. Uh, back to Lee for two seconds. Uh, everyone's so psyched about him being like this great shooter. He only took forty two threes. Like every three he took was like two point four percent from deep if he misses one more he's under 40 percent, and then no one is talking about him being a good shooter so like low volume he's not a good defender it, it's frightening how can bad we, he could end up being can okay i i, I kind of agree with you on leaf but can we just wait that he was 19 or 20 years old last year he he's was 21. a freshman he's, he's 21, 21 now he's but 21 he now. he was tiny i mean like he didn't have any no, no, muscle no, no, mass I'm, on him almost time, like i'm just i'm just not confident like Give him another year. I think you I can will. call him a buster this year, but like, let's see what he can do because he was a really a awesome I'm shooter. Him a bad basketball player. Not a bad the the problem is you guys have like long term options over him at power forward with with Sabonis with yeah, McDermott. Probably, like, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, there's no space for him even if he's good. Yeah, I think when the team was constructed, so I guess Leaf was drafted before the Sabonis Turner trade or Sabonis Oladipo trade. So that kind of like yeah, you can see what they were kind of thinking uh, there. Okay. Plus. When you trade for Sabonis, you probably thought he's your backup five, and then he just developed like he took a like he developed something we never really thought he was going to be. Like I didn't think he'd be this good. I mean, no. you know, he's he was like a very mediocre player. He played like I think thirty good games in Oklahoma City, and then kind of went in the tank the rest of the year. But so that's the problem. And so you kind of have this, and then you bring in McDermott too. You you're not you can give Leaf the opportunity to grow either. So like it's going to have a short leash because before Leaf was going to be on a team that was going to win thirty games, he was going to get a lot of minutes. Now he's on like a playoff team, and so when he's not good, he doesn't get to play. True. All right. So, Tony, why do you hate Aaron Holiday? Oh, we, we have to. We, we're back. not. We're not going to fly over that. 
why do you hate Aaron Holiday? <laughs> no, it's not hate. Like, it's definitely not hate. That I don't. I'm projecting very poorly, and I understand that. Strong dislike. Yes, it is a strong dislike because, and you know, they drafted 23rd. I'm being way too critical of the 23rd pick in the draft. But like, they were so psyched on this guy. Like Nate McMillan's like, he was the top of our board. We thought he was going to go in the lottery in our mock draft, which first of all, how did you do a mock draft that had Aaron Holiday going in the lottery? I saw a bajillion of those things and never saw him going in the lottery anyway. um, But, you know, he's a really good shooter. And I think that's going to keep him on the court in the NBA for probably a while. Like that's a very important skill, especially for a guard. But he's not ever going to be a good defender. He's very tiny. Like he, he's shorter than Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's the only good defender ever of, of that height, basically. Like Kyle Lowry is a pretty good defender at that height. But it's hard. It's really hard to be a good defender when you're shorter than me. This is the uh, Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Isaiah Thomas was about that height. He was a pretty good defender. Yeah, yeah I know. Okay, yeah. Well, what about the other I am, I am not saying that Aaron Holiday is Isaiah Thomas by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I got to point that out. Counterpoint, other Isaiah Thomas. Unless Thomas is like 5'9". He's a little bit yeah, bigger. Yeah, Aaron Holiday is like 5'11". <laughs> no, Holiday's... Like no, he's shorter than me and I am six feet tall. Anyway... Um, no, no, no. Mm. <laughs> uh, he is a turnover machine. Uh, so I feel like what his best chance is being a, a quality passer and to be like a very high impact guy. And I think he could do that. Like it's certainly possible that he becomes as good shooter, good passer. Um, but I just, I'm so low on his defense that I'm afraid he never can just be super good. And everyone's so psyched about it. Apparently they thought he was going to go in the lottery. So I just, I'm not as high on the, this dude is worthy of a lottery selection kind of mantra going on. Although I, I can see that he could be good and he probably will be a good score. And everyone's going to tell me I'm wrong because he can score and do nothing else. But that is what it is. But like Adam, is he, is he going to play over yeah, Corey Joseph? Like, no. yeah, no. no, you didn't say my name, but no. <laughs> All right, Tony, <laughs> you're Aaron Holiday. I, the thing, he's not going to play over Corey Joseph, but he's probably, I mean, so after this season, both Collison and Joseph are free agents. And so you probably pick one of the two. You probably get rid of Collison just because of age. So then he kind of gets, gets minutes to play. And, you know, Collison got hurt last year for 11 games. So you're, you could play some there. I, you know, they did, as I said, they got Tiger Evans. So that's going to help that backup point guard spot. They need a third point guard. But I think Tony's overrating how much you need a defense, your point guard to be good at defense. Like he doesn't have to be like some superb defender to be a starting level point guard. He just has to be an awesome – like a lot of the point guards in the league are not awesome defenders. It's just he has to be able to sort of be a force offensively and probably with Vic set Vic up in a way that's reasonable. But to be a starting point guard, he doesn't have to be like – I don't know. It has to be Chris Paul. I mean Chris Paul is the best – maybe the best defending point guard in the league. Like He doesn't have to be that level. He can be kind of in the next tier and still be a starting point guard. Vic I, runs half your offense anyway. Like you don't need a ball handling point guard. No, but I don't exactly. think his offense will ever be good enough to outweigh what his defense will ever be. That's but he I'm has an awesome three-point right. shot. Like, that wow. thing, you've got a quick release, good, tight release, Anthony and it's freaking fast. Man. Done. <laughs> Anthony <don't>. Morrow. Done. <laughs> Anthony Morrow is a lights-out shooter, and he can't even get in the NBA because he can't defend anything. Well, no, he was uh, he couldn't shoot because Russ was throwing him passes <laughs> that were outside of his shooting pocket. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that is exactly. <laughs> Any, I think we determine anybody who plays with Russ just stinks. Like it's just Russ is like takes everybody down like ten on like even KD. You see it. KD is a better player without Russ. Like it's just the way it is. Nah, Russ makes Stephen Adams better, but Stephen Adams like <laughs> no, that's me. you're yeah. right. No, He's Stephen Adams the one. screens make Russ better. You heard it here first. Except what if Stephen Adams played with like James Harden? Yeah. He might be <laughs> might be much better. He might be Ooh. a better version of Clint Capella. Think about it. So I have problems with Clint Capella because Clint Capella is like he's he got properly paid, I think. And there was this huge outcry that he was like underpaid and his offense is entirely dictated by like two oh all NBA gosh. level guards. This is like, yeah, the, you could you could the you could get JaVale McGee to do that for seven mil and like be fine. Like you don't need Clint Capella, but everybody wants their version of Clint Capella. A- anyway, why am I talking about Clint Capella on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast? <laughs> So, because we distracted you like we do with every podcast, we're on. just off the rails. So, uh, Adam, in your mind, what's the biggest on-court problem for the Pacers right now? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think it's the fact that they're they're betting on the same production out of guys who are not super consistent throughout their career. So, and I'm not taking count only deep with this, but I'm counting more like Collison and Bojan, and that Collison had a career year, and you're sort of betting on him doing that again. And then at the same time, Bojan, I know he struggled a little bit, but he overall had a, a pretty – I mean, one of his better career years, I thought, 
in terms of just like production and being on a quality team where he hasn't really been on that good of a team in his career. And then the same with Tyreek, you're betting on a guy who's been hurt a ton. So you're sort of the same, you're betting on these guys who have, who either had really good years last year and you're sort of like, can they replicate them? And I don't know if you can kind of do that again. Tony, same question. That was a good answer from Adam. Yeah. Age is being a thing, you know, three of their starters, four of their top six dudes. If you count Tyreek as the sixth are pushing 30, uh, you never know what you're going to get from those guys. Um, and I will bleed that into, I think wing or wing depth. Well, yeah, wing depth, but like forward depth in general, uh, is a thing like Doug McDermott's going to be the backup probably at both forward spots. Um, and Bojan and Thad are both two of the guys in the 30 camp who could foreseeably take a step back. So uh, that that could be a, an area of concern, although last year Bojan was incredibly healthy and Thad was incredibly healthy. Um, but, I mean, Tyreek's the only guy who could maybe play up a position uh, to, to, to fill that void if something happens. So that, that would be a concern on the court as well if, you're, if you end up forced to play guys who aren't ready to go on the wing. That's fair. So – that kind of leads me into something that actually that like reminds me of something I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, so next year, Collison's gone. Uh, Daddy Young's gone or they're off the books. Uh, Boyan's gone. What, uh, what is the plan for, for 2019 free agency? Like, what are you guys like looking at? Adam. You can go. Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Adam. Okay. Um, I got to remember. Say so, names. so that, <laughs> no, you're fine. I, they're going to have to bring back one of Collison or Joseph. I mean, unless Aaron Holiday is somehow a starting point guard next year, which he's not going to be because just he's too young. Um, they're going to bring back one of them, which is probably going to cost them around the mid-level. I would say probably 10 a year, probably multiple years. So that gets rid of some of that cap space. Um, they'll probably push out Turner's cap hold, which will help save some money for a little bit. So then it's about right finding a basically a power forward and trying to get a, kind of an elite small forward. You know, I think Pacer fans are hoping they can get like Jimmy Butler, but that's probably not realistic. And um, I think Tony is really big on Chris Middleton. Is kind of a guy that he wants them to get. Um, but I, I think if they have another good year, they might just try to run it back again minus Collison. Basically, like they might just try to bring Thad back again because the way Thad's game is is it's not super reliant on like speed all the time. He kind of is a little bit of an old man game sometimes. It feels like so they could bring him back for another year or two and just kind of keep running it back and hope that he can kind of stay healthy until maybe you draft a power forward and try to develop him or something like that, or maybe it's supposed to become something like that, but you sort of keep running it back if they have another good year. Yeah. And you know, Tyreek is another interesting factor in the free agency period. If he be like his, his non bird rights cap hold will be 14.4 million. Um, if he becomes worth 14.4 million, I'd have no problem with them keeping him around at that money. Uh, and they have the cap space to go over that if they need to. So I don't think that's really a concern and, and keeping like High profile guys in the team won't be an issue. You know, Kyle, like Adam said, I think one of Carlson or Joseph will probably be back. Uh, and then between Boyan and Thad, I think it depends on how they look this year and what they feel like they need. Because, you know, if Boyan's gone, then their wing depth is even lower. So uh, they, they almost have to get a guy like Middleton or some other available wing. I don't have a list in front of me um, to shore that position up if they do lose Boyan. So I feel like he's got a reasonable chance to come back too. So maybe the upgrade comes at the floor with like a Tobias Harris or something. Uh, over Thad but yeah it'll be interesting to see how they they navigate those waters with all the old guys but I think the guy I'd say the most likely to be gone is Thad just because of the way this offseason went for him how did this offseason go for him yeah, well he was kind of waffling on uh oh, sorry, it was a player option, yeah, a player option, option. Uh, that he signed in uh, Brooklyn I think yeah um in the in the old uh King era so that's why that's there um but yeah he was waffling on accepting it and I pretty confident uh i'll put it that way that the decision was based on that he wanted to see if he, they'd offer him an extension and and wanted to have him back basically uh, and that never happened but i think at the last second he realized he wasn't going to get that money if he opted out anyway so he just returned so i wouldn't say it's like a strained relationship it's just like very obvious that the long-term plans of both parties are not together there were a lot of cryptic tweets from his uh wife and some stuff that age stuff and i don't know it just it seemed like they didn't really want to be there but the money was too much to give up well even he replied to that one fan remember that when he was like right <laughs> when the dude said i can't believe the team doesn't want you long term or something like that I don't yeah know and pritchard kind of hints at it too in the pres- his uh press conference I yeah he said he wanted the draft and like that yeah yeah i don't think- i mean the, no, like- the market wasn't really good this offseason no, so i can't good. blame him for taking the was it 14 yeah about, no player option 13.7 okay. yeah and yeah. here's a flip side thing too like 
I was in my head like if Thad leaves, I was like, oh, Utah would be such a good fit for him. And then Utah pays Derek Favors $18 million. And I was like, wait a minute, Derek Favors? Is Derek Favors better than Thad? Like am I missing something here? And then like the team option made his deal different. But I mean, I think Thad's good. Like Thad's a good player. So it's a shame that, that that's going to shake out however it shakes out because it, I feel It's bad. all age though for Thad. It just, is all age. Just because he's do. over the age of 30 and you just don't know when a guy kind of hits that age and he's been playing in the league for what? I think it's – since he was 19, right? Or even 18. Come 12 out years. This is 12, 12 years. Right? He's been playing. So you just you just don't know. He's he, At some point, I mean, he hasn't had, I don't think he's ever had a major, major injury. I think he's had some, he had that wrist injury with the Patriots a couple years ago. But like, at some point, an injury might catch up to him and that's going to be the difference. And for a Patriots team who's kind of been happy with the cap flexibility and wants to kind of like have that flexibility for the next couple years while they can kind of capitalize on Turner's low cap hold and kind of actually Vic being underpaid, this, it sort of made sense. Yeah, I agree. Wow, Vic being underpaid at 21 mil. That's not a sentence I would have imagined like a year ago. I know, for real. <laughs> yeah, everyone was talking, the, the Nate Duncan people were talking about, uh, oh, OKC got off this this bad money. <laughs> well, look at that. Yeah, I mean, at 21 mil, right? If he hit the market today, he'd be a max $35 million player, whatever the max yeah. is he can reach. Yeah. So speaking of guys who got properly quote-unquote paid this offseason uh what are your thoughts tony on the name mcmillan extension oh yes okay um so before like all the coaches relocated teams is like the first we heard that there could be a mcmillan extension like may-ish may june-ish i don't remember the timing of all that shaking out but kind of then i thought no because you know if you could get a budenholzer or a Dwayne casey you 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 should but when all those mm-hmm. guys were gone and there's just no one better and you know that Nate is good with this team and you know that Nate can lead them to reasonably good heights. I mean, he led the roster way higher than anybody else thought last year. You know, he became the best option and the Pacers, most teams actually, including the Pacers, don't like to have their coaches on their last season of a, or a last year of a contract without multiple years. You know, it, it just seemed like it was going to happen. And, you know, he's such a good player development coach. They're still a pretty good young team. So I feel like he's the right guy. I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a title coach, but I think he is the right guy for where they're at right now. Yeah. Adam, what are your, what were your thoughts on the uh, Nate McMillan extension? I think I'm higher McMillan than Tony is, but not by a ton. Um, I like the extension just because I think he kind of proved this year that he could, take a new team to a different height when he had the right talent around him. Like I think the issue with his first year and I know Tony will already know this because we already been on our podcast about it, but I think this first year he was just, he got, I mean the players he got, he got a Paul George who didn't want to be there. Jeff Teague didn't want to be there. He had Monte Ellis who shouldn't be there. He had Rodney Stucky who shouldn't have been there. He really didn't have anybody who like wanted to be in Indiana or should be playing basketball in the NBA. And he finally got guys that sort of like understood how to play in a team or wanted to be part of a team. And when he got those guys, he really took them to a height that, nobody saw it coming so he deserved this two-year extension now in two more years or in two years from now when he has one year left again and he's trying to get another contract you can they make a point if they haven't won a playoff series yet you should be fired or whatnot but for now he deserved this and you know i think taking i think he had some mistakes in game seven but the fact that he took this team to game seven against lebron is pretty pretty good accomplishment i think i mean they were i think he made a mistake in the fourth quarter not playing a vic but the fact that they got there and the fact that this Basically, they got exposed on Vic Double Team. They still managed to adjust to it a couple of times. It was nice. So I think he deserved it for now, at least. Yeah, being able to push LeBron to a seven-game series in the first round is definitely like a feather in, in Nate's cap, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he doesn't have a – if you look at him, so I made his analogy a ton, but he's sort of like the Dusty Baker of the NBA where his teams always you know, make the playoffs. Dusty Baker's known for getting teams in 90 wins. But when it gets to the playoffs, he's not that successful. And that's kind of where he – so I was at, but then he sort of changed philosophy over the past, this least with this team. They said he's kind of become less a drill sergeant and stuff like that. So maybe that will help him in the future. I don't think last year them not winning a playoff series was a bad thing. Now this year, if they don't win a playoff series, he's going to get some heat for it. So we'll see what happens. Adam, I'm not sure this is the season to make the Dusty Baker analogy. Is he coaching in the I mean, MLB still, Dusty? As the under, no. the Nationals are under 500 and just traded away like half their good. No, no, no. The, Dusty doesn't coach the Nationals. Yeah, They've fallen apart without him. Oh, yeah. is that what happened? I'm sorry. I got that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I'm not going to say I fall baseball right. like Dang. thoroughly, but I remember cause I'm a Reds fan and Dusty was the coach of the Reds and like 90 wins, 90 wins, and then it got to the playoffs and he couldn't he couldn't manage the playoffs because he didn't know how to make adjustments. Podcast, and stuff like that. Like stupid. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah. Now you look even smarter, Adam. Way to go. I know. I'm, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so now that LeBron isn't 
in the East anymore and you can't push him to seven games in the first round series, what do you think the ceiling is for this team uh, as currently constructed, Tony? Ceiling, 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 the, the best word in sports, right? Um, you know, they, they beat the Celtics twice last year in the regular season. Uh, no Hayward. Should have beat him a third time. Should have beat him a third time. I agree. Didn't the other time. A terrible Boyan pass um, to Terry Rozier for those who didn't Oh, wait, I remember that. That was yeah. awful. I was and waiting the, for you to remember. God. And the fourth time Vic, Vic didn't play. Yeah, and the fourth time Vic didn't play. Uh, so they, they hung with the, Celt- the Haywardless Celtics last year. Um, but with Hayward, I don't know how big that gap is. But the ceiling is like conference finals, finals-ish. Like they, they could easily make that tier. They played well against Philly last year in the regular season. They beat Toronto a couple times. Well, I, they only beat Toronto once, but they only played them three times. They beat Toronto in the regular season last year. Like if, if Toronto doesn't work out too, like they, they, they have the, the roster, if things work, the ceiling, if this works out to, to be the team that comes out of the East, it's just a pretty improbable scenario. But I think conference finals is definitely, definitely in the realm of possibility as a ceiling. But Tony, you forgot they only beat Toronto because Lance went off that fourth quarter. That's true. We were at that game. That's right. Yeah, we were. <laughs> well, I mean, Tyreek will just do that this year and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, Lance, that Lance game was incredible. I don't think I've, I've, was- I've never cheered for Morgan not to shoot a shot and then make it every time. Like, he's like, no, no, no. Oh, he made the three. Nice shot. Like four possessions in a row. It was not. <laughs> so, Adam, what, what's your best case scenario? Is it the same level? Is it, you know, conference finals, finals? Um, yeah, I think, let's see, if Turner makes a leap, which I, I, I'm going to I mean, that's the biggest thing this whole offseason, if Turner can make a leap, then this team should be as good as at least Philadelphia. And I'm not sold on Boston being healthy all year. I'm not sure Kyrie, Kyrie, look at his, like, played one year fully healthy in his career, I feel like. So you're not, you're not sold on that. And if Boston has an injury, they could beat them. And they, they kind of owned Philly last year. I mean, Tony didn't do it just they they basically lost yeah. the first time to Philly. The next two times, close games, they just owned them. Al Jefferson made Embiid look stupid in one of the games. Um so like there's <laughs> a, a chance that things yeah, if, if, if things go right and Old Depot keeps going where he's going, this team could be in the NBA finals. Now they're not gonna win the NBA finals because unless like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry get hurt at the same time in game one. But you know, if if you get to the finals, you never know. I mean injuries happen, fluke things happen, and then you could end up with the title, but I think I think getting just winning a playoff series is what you really want. That's kind of the floor. If they don't do that, then it's not a success. But getting to the finals is, is like overachieving. All right. So Adam already kind of answered the next natural follow up question, which is like, what's the worst case scenario? Is like not getting out of the first round because you guys are definitely a playoff team in the East. Oh, so, worst case oh. scenario is missing the playoffs. No, it could happen. Yeah, I was gonna say it could happen. Like. Who- who are you guys missing out on the playoffs? And like, who's, who's, who's leaping you guys? Well, like, I feel like worst case scenario. Are you saying worst case, like, assuming normalish health? Or are you just saying? Like, yeah, assuming oh. assuming like Vic doesn't blow out okay. his ACL like game one. That's what I was thinking. Like, obviously. Okay, so let's, let's, let's do this real quick. So okay, yeah, they, they're probably gonna make the playoffs then, given that. Stuff. Right. So so Cleveland drops out probably, and that's just a yeah. given. Right. I take. I don't think they're out, but I. Like out of contention, but they're probably going to end up out. But I feel like they could battle with. Uh, I'm on a Pistons podcast. Uh, the Pistons and Hornets for that last spot. Yeah, I mean, it would be somehow Charlotte and Detroit jump them, but also Miami. Like I think basically every team but Miami and Cleveland are probably like going to make the playoffs again. I think Miami probably will, but I don't know about talent wise. And so I guess Detroit and Charlotte could hop them theoretically if Cleveland just Cleveland drops out. Woof. Trying to imagine a world in which uh, the Pacers get hopped by the Hornets for like the eighth <laughs> seed on like the final day of the season. All the people that have been screaming wrong. in our ears to talk about Kemba trade would be so vindicated. Ooh, yeah. that'd be interesting. Actually, I like that. Uh, and he'd be a free agent next last, year. Last, please think a lot about it before you suggest it. What, what's wrong with it? I mean, aside from the fact that he's a subpar defender <laughs> at a position uh, of need. Oh, that's a great ceiling for Aaron Holiday, Kemba Walker. I should have put that in my article. Hey, if Aaron Holland is Kemba Walker, that's, that's a success that's, at 23. Yo, that's, a, that's a success. No doubt. I am not denying that at all. I do not want that to get misconstrued in any way. Kemba's a borderline all-star. Yeah, like, he is an all-star. He was an all-star. Borderline is over. Well, he was an all-star, but like in the weird format yeah, all-star kind of thing. Wasn't he? he He was the same way that Andre was an all-star, but like he needed some injuries to be an all-star. Well, didn't he get in in the East? But like if you did all the point guards, Lillard would have gotten in. Like a couple years, Lillard would have gotten in still or something. Like there were a bunch of guys that got in the West that got screwed out of point guard spots. It's, yeah. It is Drogic. the dumbest thing ever. The Dragic has more all-star appearances than Conley. Just ridiculously stupid. Oh, man. We're going to tell our kids about uh, like how good Mike Conley is, and they're like just not going to believe us oh at gosh. all. 
that's right. Mike Conley's an indie guy. That's why you guys he are uh, a Champions Academy guy too. Lawrence North. I got to two ball dribble with Mike Conley one time. Good times. <laughs> Mike Conley and Greg Oden were the most lethal yes. duo in Indiana high school basketball history. I believe it. I'm, I'm trying to guard Greg Oden at 16. Sounds awful. Oh yeah, I think Eric Gordon was tasked with guarding Mike Conley one time when I think he's younger than them, and it was just it was just a bloodbath. I mean, Eric Gordon was like the best high school player when he was in high school, and he still got destroyed by Eric Gordon, Mike Conley, as junior year. All right, so moving into the <laughs> realm of like uh, before indie uh, high school basketball. So, what's the Adam? What's the under the radar thing that uh, fans who don't watch the Pacers every night kind of just don't see about the Pacers? Ooh. Um, I think the most underrated thing, I think we said earlier, I don't think people realize how good Oladipo's gotten. I think they're starting to, and they, but like, I don't think people realize that basically if this guy gets, they can isolate him one-on-one on a guy, he's going to score every time. And he has so many different ways he's kind of figured out to score where he can cross you up and then step back on you and drain a shot. He did the Mar- Marcus Alders to start last year. He can just go right at you and beat you to the rim. I mean, he's just got so many weapons and that he, he reminds me of what Russ kind of, like he wants to be like Russ almost. That's what it reminds me of. That he wants to be kind of like Russell Westbrook, but with a better passing ability. And I don't think people have re- realized that yet. The good parts of Russ. <laughs> yeah, the good parts of Russ. I mean, he 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 has this ability where he'll it, you feel like every shot he takes to go in, like Russ is kind of the same way where he pulls up. And I know that, I know now you don't think that, but like originally when Russ shots always looked good from his hands and they just rimmed out. But he's got kind of that same thing where like his three point shots always like rim around the rim and fall out. So it looks like they're good shots even if they don't go in. So, Tony, what, what's your under-the-radar thing? Mine would be that they're actually a pretty good defensive team. Uh, well, my actual answer would have been what Adam said, but uh, my follow-up one, because he said that, is they're a pretty good defensive team. You know, Vic made first-team all-defense, so of course you think he's a good defender, and Turner is who he is, but, like, Bojan made stride after stride on D last year, including uh, basically winning them a playoff game with both good D and O. Collison is a good team defender. He's not a good one-on-one defender at all, but you know he's a good enough team defender. Corey Joseph is a great perimeter defender. Thad Young is a great defender. He's second in the league in deflections last year. Uh, you know they just have guys who can defend. Tyreek Evans is a good perimeter defender. You know they just they're a good defensive team, and you don't like none of the notions. Very few of the guys on the roster have the notion of being a good defender, but as a team, they are a very good defensive team. It's it's the Dan Burke thing. thing. People underrate Dan Burke and his ability to – he built the Pacers defenses in the early 2000s. He built up again in 2010, and now he's doing it again. I mean, like, he's been their assistant for God knows how many years, and it's underrated that he's actually, like, can almost turn guys you wouldn't think to be good defenders into at least a sub If we're going to talk about Dan Burke, Adam, we have to eat crow when we said uh, – when Dan Burke was head coaching the game against the Hornets, and we said it was going to be, like, an 80-70 to 70 game, and then they hung, like, one – They scored 149 yeah. points, right? <laughs> Doesn't doesn't it doesn't count. He he was he was it was a weird situation. That was the worst. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that was a terrible one game. game. McMillan was out for I forget why. I personally, he went to a funeral. Like, he went to Dell. Was it um Dell Dems? Is that who? No, who's yes? Right, his wife. No, died. it wasn't Dell Dems, but he went to a funeral. That's yeah, one of the NBA coaches' wives died. Right, I can't remember. <laughs> and who. They were like, "Oh, Dan Burke's gonna coach." Me and Adam spent the whole show like, "Oh, it's gonna be eighty to 75. And Nick, <laughs> Nick Batum hit like with seven threes in the first quarter, and like that. It felt like. <laughs> That was so, so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, guys. So this has been a ton of fun, but this is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I do have to ask you about the Pistons. So, so Adam, from from afar, what have you thought so far about the, the last six months for the Pistons? So the Blake Griffin trade, firing Stan Van Gundy, hiring Dwayne Casey, uh, instituting a new front office, the free agency. Just what what do you think of the Pistons right now? Um, so I thought the Blake trade was such like a, like a last minute flail attempt by Jeff Van, or not uh, Stan Van Gundy to like try to save his job at the last minute. And it was failed spectacularly on that one. Um, but I actually think, you know, I mean, it's a big if, but if you get a healthy Blake and get um, Reggie Jackson back healthy. Like you have a solid team. You have probably, like I said, the Cleveland drops and maybe Miami drops. You have a playoff team in Detroit. I don't, I don't know if it's like, goes anywhere in the playoffs, but you have a playoff team. And I, I mean, I think Dwayne Casey is kind of a good regular season coach as well. So it's, it's not like terrible. It's not like where the Pistons were I'm trying to think like four or five years ago, but it's not also where they were in 04. Like they're not on that level, but they're somewhere in the, the mediocre circle with the kind of where the Pacers have always been kind of stuck between 35 and 45 wins. Tony, same question. Yes. I um, mean, Adam would both actually, 
like to thank the Pistons for making the trade for Blake Griffin. So the Pacers never played Blake Griffin last year. Oh. That was pretty cool. They played Tobias or Tobias Harris. They played Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris six times last year, but now they don't have to play him again. He seems to kill them every time they play. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, I didn't hate the Blake trade as much as most people did. Contract is what it is, but like Blake Griffin's a great basketball player. Um, and pairing him with Drummond, you know, you're going to have the best passing big man duo in the league. Um, obviously, love the Glenn Robinson signing. I was a big fan of the Casey move. Um, I don't really know what's going on in the front office still. They haven't really hired a new president of basketball operations. Is that correct? So Ed Stefanski is the guy in charge. Okay. And he's an analyst. Love it. He he's done this weird thing where uh, he's 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 the pobo and like all but title, <laughs> and he's hired uh, like assistant GMs to cover like different like fiefdoms oh. of front office work. So so like Malik Rose is in charge of player development. I think um, he hired a guy from the Sixers to do analytics. And he hired uh, another guy for scouting. So like each each assistant GM like has their okay. own like region, okay. essentially. So it's, it's it's a little bit new and uh, it's a little bit different. The there was a lot of consternation from fans earlier this offseason. Like we haven't hired a GM yet. All we've done is hired Ed Stefanski, and he's like this weird advisor thing. But like now that we're done hiring people, and you see like kind of what he's going for, like I'm willing. It's different. I'm willing to try different because you know. The same thing has not gotten us to great heights. Um, but I, in general, have been a big fan of what they've done. I would put them as my favorites to be the, the team that didn't make the playoffs last year that does make it this year in the East. And if I recall correctly, it might have been you or Sham, I forget, one of you tweeted about this. Like, like last year's Piston season was kind of like three seasons. They were really good at the start, and then they sucked without Reggie, and then Reggie came back, and they were, you know, okay enough. Like, if you, if you view the scope of Reggie Jackson's health as enough, like, they should be – a 40 something win team like that that's pretty good especially given the, the the constraints to build a roster they have so i like what they've done as a whole and i think they're, they're going to be a, a, at least a decent contender to make the playoffs all right yeah i think that was me uh reggie jackson got hurt against you guys in the final we played you guys four times before like the day after christmas was the last game which is, which is yeah. ridiculous ridiculous schedule but uh after he got hurt uh they went three and 11 in january and that was kind of the whole season right there yeah it was you between yeah. Yeah, you go like seven and seven, and you're at 43 wins, and you're fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, didn't the Pacers go 10 and two in January? Tony? Yes, that was their best month. Like, the Pacers went the flip with that. They had like an incredible, like they came back from injury, and they went on this incredible. Boyan got for, so like, hot games. in that month. Yeah. yeah, and that probably could right. Detroit was probably they were. I think when the last time they played, Pacers and Detroit were basically like tied in record or close to each other. And we were like, well, they now they're not gonna have the tiebreaker of the Pacers. That could be a big deal, and then it didn't end up mattering. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. Oh, man. And, you know, I think uh, I, I sigh. Uh, a lot of the Piston season to me is like, is Stanley Johnson finally good enough? You know, if he is, then I think they could be solidly like the sixth seed, honestly. But if not, they're going to be fighting for that eighth spot again. And you're telling me about it. <laughs> or if he's not good enough, is he willing to accept a reduced role? Right. Or uh, a new a new home. Or Or a new home. Oh, man, that'd be so <laughs> tragic. Just like. That's the the Chris Middleton, Robert Covington, like not drafting Karis LeVert. The Pistons have been searching for an answer on the wing for it's Luke. I believe a long time. Luke Kennard. People want Luke, Luke to put a point. I like Kennard. I like him too. He's he's going to be a good player. He has he has very favorable per one hundred uh, comparables to Devin Booker at uh, this time in Devin Booker's hey, career. There you go. Here first. I, I I will say. In in college, I saw Tatum and Kennard play against Syracuse, and I, I thought Kennard at the at the least that game played better. I obviously Tatum's a better player, but like I was more impressed with Kennard than I was this with Tatum. This is peak at August time. podcasting. Luke Kennard to Devin Booker and Jason Tatum comparisons. We are in it, baby. Is more. I just thought Kennard it's just a knockdown shot. I mean, he he needs to tighten up his handle a little bit, but like there's nothing he can't do on offense. And he's not a complete like black hole on defense. It's like that type of player can be extremely useful. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Red. He's Michael Red. And yes, I picked Michael Ooh. Red because of lefties. I like that. <laughs> Cro- and cross racial comparisons. I love cross racial comparisons. <laughs> yeah, people are really bad about that. Yeah. And all Europeans are the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's the way. <laughs> like the the Doncic to somehow dirt <laughs> comparison or stuff like that because they're on the same team now. Oh, it's all the no, same. Uh, Doncic was one of the Bogdanoviches. It was like, no, like they're, he's a completely different player. What are you guys talking about? Has he been compared to, to, to Rubio yet? Because they're both from Europe and stuff like that in point guards. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. 
He's like he's five inches taller and like thirty pounds. Oh, I lied. I, I lied earlier on the show. I want to raise the Pacers ceiling because Sabonis and Jokic are the same player too. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> oh man, this has been a blast. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, where Adam? Where's the best place to uh, talk to you guys about the Pacers and the Central Division? Um, all right, so you can follow our podcast at uh, Locked On Pacers. Um, you can follow me at Friedman Adam Five. Uh, I write for Indie Cornrows at the SB Nation site, so you can read some of our stuff there. But obviously, talk Pacers stuff. Or if you're a Pistons fan and want to talk smack about the Pacers, I personally, because of the uh, 0304 run, I'm a, <laughs> a Piston hater personally, just because of I'll never get over. That whole yeah. that whole two year stretch where the Pistons destroyed the entire Pacers franchise for yeah, a decade. That kind of um, happened. So <laughs> uh, I, I can't. I mean, I would never get that. My childhood ended the night Ryan Test ran in that stance. I mean, I was eight years old and that ruined my childhood for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, you can hit us up on all kinds of top Pacers smack or whatever it is. I'm sure there'll be some interesting Pistons Pacer games this Definitely. year too. Uh, Tony, how can the people uh, talk smack to you about ruining your childhood? <laughs> Yeah, I actually wasn't as big of a Pacer fan as a kid because of the brawl. But uh, I'm on Twitter at T East NBA. You can make fun of me for having NBA in my name all you want. Uh, same thing Adam said. Follow our podcast at Locked On Pacers. We have this level of banter on almost every show, so you, you don't want to miss out on that stuff. And I reply to a lot of Laz's tweets, so that's worth seeing as well. That's very true. How do you guys uh, handle the uh, 8.9 seconds versus Indy Cornrows like, debate on your podcast? We don't ever talk about it, really. And really yeah we don't we're not really we don't there's not rivals or anything like we're two small pacer <laughs> blogs in the, the realm of blog of nba blogs like we're just there's trying to produce seven good people that can, so people between can. the two there's probably about seven or eight people that actually consistently write and they're all friends so it works out pretty well actually <laughs> all right i like that there's enough uh room for everybody to eat uh oh and we've had caitlin coop on our podcast ah. which you have not i don't think it's once again like, so that, that, that's a big Once again, Caitlin, come on my podcast, please. I would love to talk to you about the Pacers. <laughs> We've had her on, I think, two or three times now. Uh, of course, I'm Lazarus Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will see you guys later this week.